there are no rude people, there are just people that are suffering. And if we extend kindness and if we practice our nine core virtues, then in the long term we can make a bigger impact. Mm, I love that. Noble Together is a podcast designed with you in mind, the parent who wants to partner in their child's education from the classroom to the car line. Our goal is to create conversations that provide shared vocabulary and strategies to help our children thrive. We could do this alone, or we can teach our children to be noble together. Welcome to episode five, Teaching with Empathy. Third grade teacher, Tatiana Rasik, joins us to discuss how we can help teach children to manage strong emotions and master self-regulation. But before we dive in, let's take a listen to our Carline question of the day. I asked our parent community to tell me about their favorite elementary school teacher and why they remember them after all these years. Let's take a listen. Back to elementary school, when you were a student, recall one of your very favorite teachers. Our kindergarten teacher was soft-spoken, very patient, very affirming, perfect. I think Miss Barnes, my kindergarten teacher, I remember vividly, you know, getting out the car in Chicago and going into the class and meeting all my friends, so. Great, and that was probably in the 80s. 90s! Sorry, I aged you. My third grade teacher, Mrs. Plogman, and I still talk to her this day. She was just so caring and compassionate towards every single student and just showed unconditional love towards every student and just, it made me learn better, so. Third grade sister, Marguerite, and she made learning fun for us and always she greeted us with a smile and we always left smiling. Mrs. Kelly and she was an older woman when she was my teacher but she taught me how to read and I love reading and I ended up skipping third grade because I was such a good reader. No sé el nombre. My chemical teacher. It was important for me because I learned too much. <laughs> started with an R. She was the science teacher. And I remember one semester, maybe even two, we spent working on balsa paper mache airplanes and just figuring out how to optimize them for flight and everything. Really enjoyed those hands-on projects. My fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Pyatt, I think it was her first year teaching, so she had like a lot of enthusiasm and gusto. I remember her being very fun. I have a, a teacher. Her name is Sor Gabriela. It's a Catholic school. She was the in charge of my classroom and my math teacher. She was very strong, but I thank God every single day of my life because she was, she, and one part of her, her was strong, the other part was just love. Today we are joined by third grade teacher Tatiana Rasek to discuss how we can help children manage strong emotions and master self regulation. This is tough. I shared in last episode's hints, episode four, that you married your high school sweetheart, Miss Rasek, and would soon be marrying him again. So what's that all about? Yes, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. My husband and I, we met in high school and we just got married last year and we decided that we wanted to have a formal Hindu wedding to celebrate his cultural background. So just exactly a month ago we had a second wedding to celebrate and it was a long beautiful ceremony <laughs> i i agree i was there if ever i saw a cool calm collected bride it was you i was amazed i went home after lunch and i slept for three hours while you probably were dancing the night away so it was a joy to see you in that capacity as the bride before we dive into the interview here the carline question that i'm asking parents in regards to this this episode is, 
to think back to your favorite teacher, elementary school. I don't know if you can still name, I can name all my teachers, kinder through about sixth grade. What character traits stand out to you as you reflect upon your favorite teacher from elementary school? You know, that's actually hard because funny enough, elementary school was very challenging for me. My first language was not English, it was Serbian. So in elementary school, I was very isolated from other kids, didn't get a lot of attention from my teachers, but there was one teacher in particular and her name was Miss Smiley. I don't know, I think it was a nickname. But Smiley. Smiley, okay. yeah. And wow, she just stood out to me because she made me feel like I was a part of the classroom. That was just something I had never felt before in school. What grade, can you remember? I think she was third grade. Oh, I okay. Think. Well, there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Carol Sauter was mine. She's the reason I went into education. She was my first grade teacher. And I remember how caring, trusting, loving, and welcomed I felt in her classroom. And then she had just a passion for the rainforest. So I remember becoming very passionate myself about the rainforest and I started a neighborhood club that was to save the, the animals in the rainforest because of her modeling. So I guarantee you're doing the same for your third grade students, Miss Rasick. I know that they look up to you in that regard and we'll see what's to come when they, when they reach college level and then set out. I'm sure there's a few teachers that will have the same thing to say about you. 10, 15 years from now. You know, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> well, great, well, let's dive in here. Um, speaking of your background, you said you've been here four years. What is your background as an educator and maybe what drew you to education? So actually being here is my first experience as an educator. Um, I have two concurrent bachelor degrees in history and religious studies and a master's degree in history. And I have just always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher in college or high school or things like that. And I just found my passion coaching basketball with my husband. We coached third graders at first and I loved working with the little kids and their excitement and so I thought I would maybe try to get into an elementary level position and I fell in love. I mean these kids are excited to learn, they're happy, they just have so much joy and brightness every day. And you you came to Great Hearts, you've been a lead for now, is this your third year? Yep. Okay, and prior to a lead, you were an assistant teacher. Yep, that's right. Yes, great. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Borba to chapter five, let's jump on over there. Parents, if you're reading along, we're in chapter five of Michelle Borba's book, Unselfie. Borba states at the start of chapter five, quote, untethered stress reduces children's focusing abilities, resilience, and emotional health, and all this jeopardizes their academic achievement, end quote. My question for you, Ms. Rasick, how do we as educators help tether students' stress? Yeah, I think this is particularly important this year and just recently with events. We have a lot of kiddos that have stress that they don't really understand where it's coming from right now. You know, they've experienced a pandemic as young children and they're trying to learn how to socialize when they missed out on that in very crucial years in their development. And so I think untethered stress to me is just students' inability to recognize where their feelings are coming from and their inability to take action to try to calm themselves down. So a lot of the ways that we try to help students recognize their untethered stress is just to talk 
with compassion and empathy and ask, what are they feeling? How is their day? You know, try to remind them that this is a safe place and maybe start to get to the bottom of where that stress is coming from. Yeah, it reminds me of this morning we had our Friday faculty feature. Students submit a teacher they'd like to acknowledge for being good and noble, our thematic goal. And one of your students actually wrote up a description of why you are a good and noble teacher. And one thing that struck me was she said, Miss Raysa is very sweet. And I said, can you describe that? What, what does that mean? And she said, well, you know, when we're not feeling good or with our ups and downs, she's gentle. And that describes you very well. It, it brought tears to my eyes, honestly, when she said that. I think that's so true. Just we have the gift to offer students that emotional constancy, the opportunity to be that safe place. We don't overreact. I know that's something that even today in my office with the student, do you think maybe you overreacted? And he looked at me. <gasps> yes. Okay, that word is powerful even to be able to without judgment as far as good or bad, just to name it, that that reaction may not have been appropriate to the situation you were facing. I read on page 98, Borba said, she quoted a student that said, nobody tells us how to calm down, but they tell us calm down, but how do we do it? And there's that underlying stress that comes before the anger. We see the anger, a lot of times we don't see the stress. In your classroom, what are some techniques in the midst of teaching? What have you found helpful? If you don't have the space to carve out a long conversation, what, what can you do? What can parents do? What can teachers do in the moment? Well, this year I started something new and I actually can't take the credit. I stole it from a second grade teacher last year, but one of my colleagues had a glitter jar and just to try to calm students down where if they were stressed, they'd just put the glitter jar on their desk and they'd watch it and just try to relax their mind because it's probably moving really fast, 100 miles an hour. And so um, in Jerome, the kaleidoscope store that's up there, I found some little glitter sticks. And so this year, if a student is stressed, they just pat their head and I give them the glitter stick and I give them a three minute timer and we don't have to talk about it in that moment, but it's an opportunity for them to take a break, watch something that kind of slows their heart rate down and reconnect with me um, and the lesson. And we do other things like that where we just, you know, we pass around um, an iPad all day so students can do extra math and they sit in a corner on a cushy pillow. And so when they come back, they're rested and they just had that opportunity to take a break, which I think students don't always know how to do or how to ask for. So yes. you try to build that in for them every mm -hmm. day. It reminds me of rest stops when you're on a long, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a long road trip, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? The school day must feel like that for some of our students, especially the ones that don't have a good sense of telling time. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? To the end of the day, and you're adding these rest stops for them intentionally through novelty is what I'm hearing. Also, just the opportunity to signal to you and communicate with you, connect with you with the head tap. How many students would you say on average take that opportunity each day to, you know, use one of those glitter sticks? It depends. I have a group of very close friends this year. And so if the friend group is doing well, you know, 
maybe four or five kiddos will ask for it. But if there is a situation at recess, you'll see like 10, 12 kids, you know, patting their head. And that, those are moments where we stop and just talk. And I ask, okay, I know something's going on. I can feel a change in the room. Let's just talk about it. What happened? Mm. How are you feeling? So those more extreme moments where kids are asking for it, we just stop as a class okay. and reflect together. Okay, so there's on average four, four students a day. However, if there's a visual indicator that, okay, this warrants a larger conversation, then you'll pause instruction and then engage. I love that. Here's a possible short-term solution, something you can do right away, and then do you do you explore that further and then ongoing here's a long term sometimes avoidance is the best thing or ignoring but then long-term solutions have you gotten there with your class we get there a lot using the virtues at our school the nine core virtues so oftentimes our solutions will be in the moment like ask for help from a teacher or just leave that conversation politely um, and then the long-term solutions may be just practicing kindness more in their daily life. What I tell my students is that there have been so many times where people have been unkind to me. And as much as you want to take it personally as a human, <laughs> you have to remember that there's probably something in their hearts that hurt, something that happened to them that day. Yeah. And so I always tell my students that I will never react with unkindness. I will always try to understand that something probably hurt them. Nine times out of 10, that person that was rude to me will be shocked by my kindness and grateful and apologize. And I think there are no rude people, there are just people that are suffering. And if we extend kindness and if we practice our nine core virtues, then in the long term we can make a bigger impact. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Excellent. That was that was beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Just the the tie into our virtues, which have always been there. That's not specific to our thematic goal, but every month we have one that we highlight. And you're right. That is that is the key. Thinking long term. And I think it's really helpful not to villainize rude quote people or behavior, but to help students recognize there's a wound or there's something that caused it, not to excuse it, not to teach them to be doormats, not to teach them to let people walk all over them, but to help them learn empathy and even just be curious about that background story, what's under the surface. I wonder, what's your take on, okay, we're having these conversations that can be emotional. Is that increasing the emotion? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, as a teacher, I finally feel like I can recognize signs that my students are being affected in quiet ways by things that are happening at recess or other other things. And it's not even obvious signs like putting your head down on your desk. It's little things like looking around more or fidgeting with your hand or your pencil. You know, you start to recognize signs that there's stress. And so I feel that taking this time to address what's causing those problems with the students. It's almost like fresh flushing out your system. You know, mm -hmm. you're really, really stressed yeah. and you're angry and you just need a good cry and you let it out and then you start to feel better. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And so I think when students are showing those signs of stress, they feel that the rest of the day is gonna be terrible yeah. or there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. I have to come back tomorrow and it's going to be just as hard. Versus when we stop and we recognize what we're feeling and we talk about it and we brainstorm solutions, now there's a possibility that tomorrow will be a better day. Or in the very least that there is somebody there to listen to you 
tomorrow when you do have a bad day. And so I really see a huge difference and it might not be the same day, but the next day there is more positivity and more students asking each other about their needs. I love that. How would you strengthen the classroom to curbside connection as we're talking about fostering and carrying over that communication from the classroom to home? How do you summarize this for parents? We had this conversation, this is what we covered. What does that process look like for you? So in the beginning of the year, I really tried to share a lot of that in my weekly emails to families that I send on Fridays, maybe summarizing what our class meeting looked like or things we brainstormed. One time there was this little random acts of kindness challenge where just throughout the rest of the week, students could write me something kind they did and I sent that to parents just so they could see that those kinds of very adorable things that students are learning. But now I've actually found that a lot of students are going home and telling their families about it themselves. You know, if anyone has questions, I'm here. Yeah, you do a great job communicating with parents. Yeah, thank you. The last thing I wanna to touch on is Borba, she described a tangible gift box students hold as they share to remind them that speaking is a gift. Do you have a physical, tangible element to these conversations or how do students know when it's their turn to share? What does that look like? You know, I don't. You know, we have silent cues, like I'll raise my hand when it's time to listen to somebody else, but a little energy doesn't yeah. hurt. And you know, they're just ultimately trying to show their love for each other and their empathy for each other. And so I think that is a very powerful moment for other students to experience when they're sharing something hard and the whole class jumps in and says, well, what if you try this or what if you try that? It's all of a sudden, oh, this whole room loves me. I'm okay. That's powerful. It <laughs> yeah. reminds me of lunchroom conversations with our, our faculty, our colleagues, when we're all having lunch and someone's sharing and you know other people join in and the momentum builds. And that is a, a true, I think, transferable skill that you're teaching your students inadvertently, when to listen, when to chime in, how to follow the, the flow of the conversation and not direct it towards yourself prematurely. So. I love it. I need to get in there and watch. I need we to experience to this you. for myself. <laughs> tell you that every Wednesday. I'm going to come in this week. I'm going to come in this week. So is there anything before we close, Miss Rasick, that you want to make sure we touch on, that we maybe you prepare that we skipped over? I guess the last thing I would want to say is that we're very lucky to be a part of this Archway Arte community. And so I think of all families here as a part of my community. And if anything, I'm just happy to help if anyone reaches out or has questions. Thank you. Thank you for your time. It's a gift. I know you have 30 kids waiting in a classroom right now for you, so I won't keep you too long, but thank you so much for just the good work that you're doing in 3B with those students, Miss Rasek. You are making a difference. Um, it's tangible. I see it. They see it. And, and we love you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Mrs. Mason. Borba posits that, quote, self-regulation is one of those tools essential to teaching children how to handle whatever comes their way. It's composed of self-awareness, self-management, emotional literacy, and problem solving, end quote. As in most things, there's a balance to strike here. At our academy, we don't have a curriculum designed to teach these skills. We don't have a block of time specifically dedicated to this instruction because we want to prioritize our core instruction and prioritize academics during the school day. So this is a yes and. We do encourage teachers to pause when needed to have these important conversations with students. Our school's name is Arate. Arate is Greek 
for intellectual and moral virtue. The interwovenness of the head and the heart is evident even in our name. Chapter 5 moves us into the second part of Unselfie, while Part 1, chapters 1 through 4, were dedicated to developing empathy, Part 2 of Unselfie speaks to practicing empathy. This particular chapter contains 30 practical exercises for parents to lead their children through, should empathy be something you'd like to practice in your home. Dr. Borba has an entire section dedicated to breathing alone. Why is this important? Dr. Borba claims that, quote, the ability to manage emotions is a better predictor of academic achievement than IQ, end quote. Imagine a child who has a home environment where read-alouds are commonplace, give a listen to episode four if you missed it, and parents are intentional to help their child learn how to self-regulate. This generation has been coined the most stressed out generation on record. Our youth are on information overload. So much information is at their fingertips or in their earbuds, and they're living in limbo. They're either fatigued by compassion for others who are suffering significantly in other parts of the world right now, or they're tucked inward like a turtle, operating in a default survival mode that actually looks a lot like narcissism. Most of the time, they're probably vacillating between the two. I was recently told by a mentor that it's been scientifically proven impossible to multitask. The brain cannot focus on more than one thing effectively. Now, I haven't read the research that proves this and a big part of me wants to immediately say, of course I can multitask, I'm a mom. True or not, I found it startling to read on page 101 that, quote, simply having a cell phone nearby without even checking it can reduce empathy, end quote. These electronic diversions, as Dr. Borba calls them, diminish our social and emotional skills. It makes a lot of sense. Think of our youth today trying to have a conversation but distracted by the input, sometimes tragic and traumatic information that comes across their screen. Then the very next story, a crazy cat video. Our brains are not wired to shift gears so swiftly and significantly. Parents don't always see the lead up to the outburst, and they can feel they're left with little choice in the matter when they respond. Parents, you may see this when your children assimilate into real life after some video game playing. They've just saved the world, or conversely, they've failed at it. They come to the dinner table grumpy at best. Tuning into our kids can be hard. I notice that many times my teenage son turns mean when he's nervous about something, and it doesn't need to be anything major. In fact, many times it's the small underlying things we want to ignore that cause stress, like a dare to take a picture next to a neighbor's front yard decorations. We were doing this as a family. We were on a video scavenger hunt. It's embarrassing to admit that you don't feel comfortable with something that's silly, so instead of communicating this, there's the insult or rude remark that's made to deflect. This is when we need to slow down. I remember saying to my son, hey bud, I noticed when you feel uncomfortable, you get a little mean. If you would have said, I don't feel comfortable taking a picture in front of that stranger's house, I would understand and respect it. But when you react in anger, it's hard to understand what's really going on. His response to me was, yeah, but that's awkward, mom. True, it may be. And it's healthy and helpful. Dr. Borba has a lot more to say about this, but I'll wrap up here with this. Your home is the optimal place for your children to learn to manage their emotions. When the meltdowns occur, and they will, instead of joining their chaos, invite them into your calm. Model it, reinforce it, foster it. We may not always have time for a scripted conversation, but we can offer a space and unconditional love. I shared one of our family mantras in episode two, People are more important than things. Well, we have another mantra, forever, for always, and no matter what. 
This is what I want ringing in my children's hearts and minds when all else fails. Thank you so much for joining me. And I want to give, again, a special thank you to the Archway Arte parent community for embracing this podcast and participating in our curbside question. A thank you and welcome to our new listeners. And I want to give a big shout out to my editor and producer, Joe Mason. A peek behind the curtain. It takes approximately six hours to make me sound coherent for 20 minutes. Thank you so much, Joe. To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, be sure to subscribe. And if you leave a comment, you are helping future listeners discover this podcast. I look forward to connecting again as we talk about chapter six of Unselfie with our next special guest. Until then, work to build connections with your kids, one conversation at a time.